This episode of HeyYA is sponsored by TBR Book Riot subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life and a great gift for the holidays for the readers on your list. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. TBR is also available as a gift for the holidays. Just select the plan you want to give and you can schedule the gift to be delivered any day you want. But get your gifts fast because spots are limited this holiday season. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today or to start your holiday shopping. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to episode 109 of HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book riot podcast hosted by myself, Erica Ezefetti, and Tears of Price. We are recording on December 16th. Tears of how are you doing? I am great now that we are here talking YA books. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Glad to hear you're safe. Well, I mean, the weather is wild everywhere. It is. Yes, I just lived through the Iowa tornado. It seemed like the Mm. entire state was in a tornado warning at some point last night. But luckily, we pulled through without any damage and we're all safe. So that is what is important. But yeah, it's kind of wild. And as we were saying right before the show started, Mm -hmm. it's just you know climate change it's really wreaking havoc with weather so i hope wherever you are you are safe because you never know what's gonna happen it's very unpredictable seriously so this is our final episode of 2021 i say that like a question because i'm like calculating in my brain like (laughs) dates and (laughs) you're right i totally didn't even think of that it seems like it's been just like a very wild year and mm. I am kind of in shock that it's almost over but yet also very ready for 2022. Yeah I was speaking to Vanessa and I was saying how see- I'm seeing these memes everywhere lately how it's basically saying how like people this time as the new year is approaching no one is saying like oh 2022 is about to be my year like they usually do (laughs) people they're like everyone's just trying to quietly enter 2022 and not touch anything and not say anything and hope that nothing catches on fire (laughs) yes don't break anything don't don't look at anything keep your head down don't make eye contact it's yeah. 2022. Who knows? I, Omicron I <laughs> sounds like a transformer or something. And <laughs> it's like, bro. <laughs> Come on. I know. I know. It's so weird to think that like, yeah, this is this is reality now. But yeah. I don't know. We're making the best of it. <laughs> we are. We are. And at least at the very least, we have a lot of great books to like kind of take us out take us away from that stuff, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about our favorite books of 2021. And that's always impossible. Like, I think it's funny because when we were planning this episode, we I think we both thought like, oh, that'll be like an easy episode in yeah. terms of like, we won't have to do a lot of like upfront research and reading because we're just going to be like, these are our favorite reads of 2021. But mm-hmm. then I was looking at everything I read in 2021 and I was like, wait, when do you yeah. have to narrow it down to like four or five picks? That's exactly. so hard. <laughs> kind of a mess. Yeah. A happy mess, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have, so (laughs) that is good. And uh, But before we get into that, I did want to quickly shout out um, our news piece of the week, which is the Morris Award finalists. Um, They have been announced. And I don't know, do you follow the Morris Award? Are you familiar with it? Because I know you're kind of new to YA. I'm honestly not that familiar with it. Okay. No. 
Yeah, so the William C. Morris YA Debut Award is an award that's given to a debut book. And so the finalist list comes out at, for the year, like in December. And then the winner is announced at the Youth Media Awards, which is put on by the ALA in February. So the list for 2021 was just released, and it's five really great debuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully, which I was not surprised to see on that list because that has been a much-hyped book. Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Iamidi. Vampire's Hearts and Other Dead Things by Margie Fuston, Me, Moth by Amber McBride, which was a National Book Award finalist, and Uh What Beauty There Is by Corey Anderson. So these look like really great picks. And I feel like I've been especially plugged into the debut YA scene this year because I also had a debut YA book, and because of that, ow. a bunch of yeah, a bunch ow, of um, but like yeah, so I was connected with like a bunch of other YA middle grade debuts, and I because of that, and because of like the personal connections that I've been making just with our debut group, I feel like I've read way more YA debuts than I have like at all any other year, which is really fun and exciting. Um, and there's just, there have been so many great ones that have come out this year. They're so good. They yeah, don't even so. feel like debuts, some of them, you know? Right. Exactly. So I do yeah. not envy this committee for having to, like, narrow it down to five yeah. picks. Like, it's just so hard. And, like, I think also, like, sometimes, you know, authors especially maybe get bummed out this time of year because everybody's, like picking a certain number of titles and like hey we're gonna do that here in a few minutes where we're gonna only talk about a few titles but like the reality is is like we're two human readers who can't read everything and we are also two people with like very individualized and specialized tastes and so you know we're only picking a few of the books that we read this year and i i hate being like this is the best of but these mm-hmm. are my favorites because favorites i feel like feels a little bit more honest in terms of like, yeah yes this is gonna be a subjective list sorry i think that no i think that perfectly um addresses all of those things um because people will definitely be like well what you're missing is xyz because xyz <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is also valid because it was like, that was your favorite, but these are my yeah. favorites. So. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm sure I would love that book. I just yeah. didn't get to it this this year yet. And like, that happens. <laughs> yeah. And that's totally fine. I think the title Best Of is obviously like kind of a little more clicky, but Favorites of 2021 is like a lot more accurate, like you said. It's funny. Yeah. Um, Ace of Spades is uh, one of the books I chose to talk about later i almost mentioned me moth but i just mentioned it in an extra credit uh last week well at the time of this airing it will have been last week but yeah so good and the cover is beautiful side note (laughs) well yeah that's the thing too like when when we're talking about books like i mean i don't know if you maybe you do this because you kind of i think hinted at that where like i know that i have this like platform of being able to get on Hey YA and talk about so many YA books. And I want to talk about all the books, but I can't. So sometimes I'll think like, okay, I would love to mention this book in this context, but like, you know, maybe I'll not mention it in two weeks or, oh, I mentioned it last month. And it's just like, I'm trying to get as many different books rather than like hitting on the same books. So if I'm like missing something, it's not because I'm like excluding it on purpose except for like you know i am excluding it because i want to talk about as many books as possible but like it's not because i hate it it's because i just love a lot of books yeah so yeah more on that point too it's like sometimes you want to some of the books that are really popular are pop a lot of them are popular for a good reason but people have already heard about them so sometimes you want to also highlight things that might not have gotten as much hype but are still really good so there's that too and that's why I think the um, this year's Morris Award finalists are, like, a really good balance of some, like, two especially, but three uh-huh. books that have been, like, really popular, but then, like, two books that have not gotten quite the same amount of buzz. And I just think that's really cool because, yeah, there's so many great books. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Side note, have you – I take it you've heard of Jorts the Cat? 
Yes. Oh my God. I love jorts. <laughs> and I just, let me just say, let me just say that as the owner of two orange cats, orange oh, cats, they are a special baby. sort of beast. Yes. And I, I have a cat who's totally a jorts. You have a jorts, Tirza? I do have a jorts. <gasps> He's a lovable idiot. Oh, bless. I had a cat that was mostly orange but had white, and he was a little jort jorty. <laughs> he was a little jorty as well. Jort-like. Yeah. I think he wasn't full jorts, but he was <laughs> close. You just, it's so funny. And now we're going to have to include a link to Jorts in oh, the show for notes. Sure. If you haven't heard of Jorts, he's just a very dumb but lovable orange kitty. And yes. I love it. And I thought HR handled that pretty well. <laughs> yeah. That was a whole saga that I'm like, I have to reread that at least once a week for the next couple of weeks. That oh gave me life. <laughs> it, it was really great. It was so great. We'll oh, definitely wow. include that. Well, do you want to transition to our first sponsor and then we can talk about our picks for the year? For sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, this episode is sponsored by If This Gets Out by Sophie Gonzalez and Cal Dietrich. 18-year-olds Ruben Montez and Zach Knight are two members of the boy band Saturday, which is one of the biggest acts in America. Along with their bandmates Angel Fawn and John Braxton, the four are teen heartbreakers in front of the cameras and best friends backstage. But privately, cracks are starting to form. Their once easy rapport is strained under the pressures of fame, and Ruben confides in Zach that he's feeling smothered by management's pressure to stay in the closet. On a whirlwind tour through Europe, Ruben and Zach come to rely on each other more and more, and their already close relationship evolves into a romance. But how can they hold tight to each other when the whole world seems to want to come between them? If This Gets Out is a new audiobook from Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Diedrich, and it's out now. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, um, this is like side note, so I'll say this very briefly, but... I just saw on Twitter that this book debuted in one of the top 10 books um, on BookScan. Okay. Yeah, it's like a source for collecting book sale data. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not like the definitive source. and It's not always 100% accurate. But I mean, what's interesting is that every book on that top 10 list, except for if this gets out, hit the New York Times bestseller list. So that's like a little bit shady. And that makes me very... Angry for the authors. Yeah. So definitely go read if this gets out because not only does it sound delightful, but it sounds like, you know, it's being unfairly treated when it comes to book sales. So that's not very cool. And that is so weird, too. A, a, a little addition on your side note it's like, if the books are selling, don't you want to sell more of them? Obviously, it's popular. Why would you exclude the book? Yeah, it might be some like a huh. little bit of homophobia there. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> but anywho, sorry anyway. to bring us down. Um, but this is a podcast about YA news. Um, so we're going to talk about our favorite picks of 2021. Uh, do you want to kick us off with your first pick? Yeah, for sure. You mentioned this earlier, but it's my first pick is Ace of Spades by Ferida Abike Iyamide. This follows two black students at an elite private academy. So you have Devon and Chiamaka, who have just been chosen to be part of the school's senior prefects. So the beginning of the school year seems to be off to a good start. Chiamaka is like that girl. She's like popular. She's assertive. She is not afraid to do what she feels she needs to do to get what she wants. Devin is kind of opposite. He's like, like more to himself. He's into music and he's just trying to make it like a lot of us. Um, so despite the way the, the good way the year started, I should say, they're soon plagued by someone called Aces, who is anonymously revealing details about their lives to the entire student body. These are details that they, if it wasn't obvious already, do not want other people to know about. So they start working together to figure out exactly who's behind it. And it gets real. There's a sex tape, there's violence, there's homophobia, things like racism and microaggressions. Um, but it's also a really good page turner. So it has a good discussion of just how complex race, gender, and class are by exploring specifically how race and class are often confounded and kind of confuse how they've kind of like race has become a class at this point. You know, it's kind of like they're intertwined now. 
but how also, uh, yeah, basically how class is inseparable from race. It makes a good point on how academic spaces can be so inherently racist and just like another cog in the systemic racism machine. It also shows how being queer can come with different challenges. Chiamaka is bi, Devin is gay, and their queer experiences are not the same. So it's, it's a great example of how marginalized people are not monolithic, even when they have similar identities. In this case, both characters are of color and both are queer. It has also been called a combination of like Gossip Girl in the movie Get Out. So again, that is Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Iyamide. I'm really excited to read this one. I've had it <laughs> in arc form for a while. Yeah. Story of my life. Um, but I, I got really excited when I heard that um, it had great queer representation too, because mm-hmm. that's like not super apparent from the book's marketing. Which is interesting, like, I, I'm i not sure, like, what the decision-making process behind that was, if it was intentional or not. Sometimes that's frustrating for me as a reader, because, like, I want to know about all the queer things, and so, like, I had to yeah. hear it from, like, word of mouth, but then once I heard from word of mouth, I was like, well, now it's just going up even faster at my TBR, so. That is weird, and it, it might, I mean, based on what you were just saying about the book scan thing, it's kind of like, hmm. Yeah, right? You know? Yeah. This Mm. world. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So my first pick is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And I've been a big fan of Tiffany Jackson's books um, since her debut allegedly came out, I think almost five years ago now. And this is a new genre for her. It's a horror novel, and it is about this teenager named Mari who has a newly blended family. So her mom, um, she and her brother and her mom are black and her mom has just married a white man and he has a daughter um, named Piper who's also white. And so there are some tensions just from like the fact that like, you know, you have two adults with their own children marrying and that can kind of come with some awkwardness. Um, And Piper, the little sister, is not always you know the best behaved little kid and she's really not very happy about the marriage but then like sort of simmering underneath that is definitely some racial tension which is awkward because you know they are now they're supposed to be this one big family um so they pick up and move from california to a small midwestern town uh, which is not given a specific state but is kind of you know coded to be like a Detroit type suburb. And in this small Midwestern town, it's been, you know, just kind of devastated by drug use and a really horrible, like drug laws and, you know, things that have really targeted communities of color in disproportionate ways. And now this big, rich organization is coming through and they're going to try to revitalize the town. And so part of the revitalization efforts are um, this foundation has taken a house that has been old and abandoned they've completely renovated it and they have awarded this house to a writer a fellow who happens to be the main character's mother um so basically she gets to come live in this house for free after she serves her like two years working for the foundation like they get a free house and like that's a pretty big deal But of course, like instantly they get there and Mari and her younger brother just kind of sense that something's really off about the house. Like they smell like this really horrible smell that seems to come and go. Um, The contractors tell them that like they can't go into the basement because it's not safe and they hear like weird noises down there. And like, yeah, things (laughs) just seem to be happening and like the tension just keeps building and building where it's just getting creepier and creepier. And so Mari and her brother are like convinced that the house is haunted. And at the same time, Mari has this past where she has struggled with addiction and she has gotten herself into trouble in the past and she's, you know, completely changed, but like, she's also really working on regaining her parents' trust. So the fact that, like, she sees weird things and she's convinced that something weird is going on and she struggles with anxiety, it's really tough for her to, like, actually be believed when she's like, Mm -hmm. I think something weird's happening. Because the immediate reaction that her parents have is, are you using again? 
Wow. And that's really hard. And it's devastating for her because she knows she's not. But, you know, that that's happening in the background. And I think, like, one of the scariest things is not being believed. So that was a really scary yeah. book because, you know, she – as the reader, you know that she sees what she sees. But, like, also nobody's going to believe her. So, yeah, this was a really scary pick. And I would say that, like, it, the tension – was really good. And I think it's really hard to sustain like that sort of like level of fear and tension throughout an entire book while also like ratcheting it up. And then like, I think that Jackson did that really brilliantly. And then the book ended up like it, it took a swerve, it went someplace that I didn't expect it to. And I really liked what it did. Um, So I won't say anything more about that. And I realize as I'm talking now, I probably should have given a content warning before I started talking. But if you want to pick up this book, content warning for, you know, drug use and struggles with addiction. There's some, you know, racial slurs and and stuff that's brought up and some racism. So just be aware of that. Um, I also think that one thing that's really notable to me about this book is that um, I think the author did a really good job of kind of taking like a nuanced look at marijuana use. Um, And just like the kind of, you know, preconceived notions that society tends to have with, you know, people who use marijuana and, you know, what what that means and like what that looks like in society. But like also like it's not always your stereotypes. And I thought that was especially interesting because we're living in a time now where like marijuana use is becoming legalized across the states, but it's not legalized everywhere. And so it can kind of be like this. I don't know, a weird and awkward issue, but um, this book was just notable for me because it did not kind of go where you would expect it to go in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a much more nuanced take. So that's White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. Excellent book. Well, I'm sold. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I remember that coming out in like as a fall release. And I remember being really interested in it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm going to have to get to it sooner rather than later after that ringing endorsement. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds really good. I'm like a chicken too. So if you can sell me a scary thing, like hats off to you because (laughs) I am scary. Like you're talking about they moved to a house and they were hearing noises. Yeah. The people I know would be like, (laughs) okay, so can you call a real estate agent back? Because... (laughs) This isn't going to work out for me. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was so scary. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Not when not when the lights are off, but I'll read it otherwise. So my next book is Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. And first of all, I will always read something by Elizabeth Lim. She is, I love her books and they all always look really nice. The covers are really pretty. She wrote the Blood of the Stars duology also, and the first book from that was really good. I didn't like the second one as much, but the first one was so good. The first one was like, it was described as like Mulan meets Project Runway, which was a very good description, actually, the first half of the book anyway. So in Six Crimson Cranes, Princess of Kiata, Shiori, practices forbidden magic, which comes in clutch when she's about to be married to this barbarian lord that she has been promised to. The wedding is accidentally but gloriously delayed because of her magic, but also because of this, of her magic, that is, her stepmother, Raikama finds out that she has magic is basically forbidden in this land for various reasons, but it runs through Shiori's veins. So she practices it in secret. When her stepmother finds out Raikama, the stepmother, she has magic of her own. So once some, you know, secrets are revealed and stuff, everything leads to basically culminates in Shiori's six brothers being cursed Raikama curses them so that during the day they're turned into cranes. So if Shiori speaks of this, each word that passes her lips will cause the death of one of her brothers. If she speaks of this or anything at all, actually. So she's basically silenced. And if she says anything, each word means one brother dies. So after Shiori is banished, she's broke, can't speak, and has no one to help her. She has to use all of her wits in order to not only survive, but also save the kingdom from this convoluted plot that she finds out about, basically. She ends up having to trust the very same guy she was trying not to marry. 
So this story actually takes place in the same world as Limbs, the Blood of the Stars duology that I just mentioned a second ago. And I actually remember be, remember Shiori being mentioned in one of the books. Um, it's got shape-shifting dragons, magic, obviously, and uh, some interesting things with tropes, especially like, you know, the wicked stepmother trope and stuff like that. It's got, it plays with, you know, familiar fairy tales, as I said, tropes, but it's in this really beautiful Asian-inspired world. So again, that is Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. That book is literally sitting on my desk right now. (laughs) (gasps) Have you read it? Not yet. I'm actually considering because I'm actually going to be driving from Iowa to Michigan and spending a week in Michigan over the holidays. And I'm trying to figure out which books I want to bring with me. Mm. And I'm I'm thinking that I'm going to throw that one in the bag. So you probably have just convinced me. So thank you. (laughs) Throw it in the bag, Teresa. Put it in the bag. Yes. That's always the um, question during the holidays. Like, what books am I bringing? Yeah, I know. Because we'll just have like a week, two weeks off where we just get to read. And that's exciting. Mm, it is. It is. <laughs> All right. So my second pick is This Poison Heart by um, Kaylin Bayron. And this is a fantastic novel. It is magical. It has, you know, this mythology inspiration it is so good. So it is about main character named Bree, who is the daughter of her two moms. She's adopted. She's always known that she's adopted. This kind of becomes significant to her because she's grown up in New York City and she knows that she has the ability to sort of grow plants and draw attention from plants. Like so much so that if she goes into a park, like all of like the plant life sort of like leans towards her. And it's kind of getting noticeable at this point. Um, and the only reason she's kind of been able to go undetected without people realizing that she's the cause of plants behaving kind of weird is because she lives in New York City where there's like not a ton of plant life. So she um, also has a secret, which is that she is very drawn to poison plants and poison plants don't seem to affect her. So obviously she has no idea like what this is all about. It's very confusing. It's a little bit scary, but she wants to know more. So around this time, she learns that her birth aunt has passed away. And as there is nobody else left in her birth family, she stands to inherit her birth family's estate, which is like this beautiful, huge house and grounds in upstate New York in um, the Rhinebeck area. And it's just, you know, hers for the taking along with this trust that maintains the estate. And so obviously she and her moms are like, yeah, okay, we'll take this. And they go up there and they decide to get away for the summer and live in this estate and try to, you know, just find out more about where Brie comes from. And so she is up there and she discovers this apothecary. She discovers that, you know, her birth family makes these elixirs and people in town know about them. And they're really excited because they think like, hey, are you going to start up the apothecary again? But at the same time, she also discovers a poison garden and she discovers that there are people who know about her family's abilities. And now that they know that she exists and she is alive, they want to use her and get at these um, these secrets. So this is a really fantastic book. I loved the mythology connection. I loved just the layers of secrets and twists in this book. Um, I also really liked the humor. This has really good humor. And it also has um, some queer representation as well. So all in all, a fantastic book. It is the first in a duology. And the second book comes out in 2022. And I I can't wait. I think it's going to be really great. So that is This Poison Heart by Kaylin Bayron. That's one that I actually have laying around in my living room. (laughs) So yeah, I need to get into that. Between that and White Smoke, I'm being reminded of Daphne by Rebecca Dumari for some reason. Oh, yeah. Getting like Rebecca teas, like the two of them. Like I think... 
like that, that poison good heart. Yeah, because of the like the estate, and then yeah. white smoke just kind of sounded like how like you know how like the house was you know tormenting her and stuff like that. Yes. So I just got Rebecca T's. I thought I was sure. <laughs> I love Rebecca. And I like that these two books are like, they go in various, very different directions. But mm-hmm. like, if you also like those Rebecca vibes, you'll like both of those books. Yes. So time for us to get into another sponsor. We are also sponsored by Sip Spy. Is there anything better than curling up with a new book and a hot cup of tea? Sip Spy makes discovering tea fun, personalized, and affordable. The Sip Spy box is the only multi-brand personalized tea subscription box. Each month, Sip Spy matches you with delicious teas from over 150 global tea brands, big and small, based on your unique preferences. Gift cards and subscriptions are available at www.sipsby.com. Subscribe and you'll receive four new teas each month chosen just for you. Each Sip Spy box includes loose leaf teas, bag teas, or a mixture of both based on your preferences and makes 16 or more cups of tea. Sip Spy accounts for your caffeine tolerance, flavor preference, and even your dietary needs. So I got my box of Sip Spy tea. I got instant masala chai, tropical punch blend, a black tea called August Uncommon Low Country, and an organic jasmine green tea and... It came right in time because it got a little colder and I was like in a tea drinking mood. I was in a warm beverage mood, but not coffee. And all of these teas can be, are they're delicious with or without sweetener. And I really love the August Uncommon Low Country. It has like a touch of sweetness to it. Follow at Sips by on Instagram for weekly giveaways and more. For podcast listeners only, use the code H-E-Y for 50% off your first Sips by box at www.sipsby.com. Thanks again to Sips by for sponsoring this episode. I feel like I just have to say as an aside, my Sips by subscription turned me on to August tea as well. <gasps> but instead of Low Country, they sent me um, a version called Psycho Candy and... <laughs> I don't mean to be like offensive if, if that term offends anybody. It's just, just yeah. what the tea is called. It's called Psycho Candy, and it is so good. It tastes like a pumpkin spice latte, but without the sweetness, but like the flavor. Oh. And it's my new favorite tea of 2021. <laughs> so I would not think that a name like that would be pumpkin spicy. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's very fall and like, it's Mm. flavorful and robust, but it's not like too sweet, but like, it's just a hint of sweetness. Yeah, it's excellent. That's the, yeah, too too much sweetness can ruin it. It's just like, ugh, I'm drinking (laughs) syrupy sludge. I'm kind of curious, Tirza, what were your other, I'm going to like compare our tea preference. What (laughs) what were your other um, picks they got for you? Mostly like a floral sort of pick, which is what I Mm. liked. And then they sent me this like white Christmas stash tea that I just adored. And now I'm out, so I'm going to have to go buy some more. Uh, But the cool thing about Sips Buy is that like if you get a subscription with them and they send you a tea that you really like, um, if you go to their website, they usually give you like discount codes to like then go and get more of that same tea. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's nice. I'll probably do that. (laughs) Good, good, good looking out. So the next one of my favorite books of the year is called One of the Good Ones by Micah Mulit and Maritza Mulit. They are a sister writing team, which I think is really cute, and also goals. I can never corral my siblings to do that, though, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Uh, So there is a content warning here for death and racism and stuff like that. So, Kezi Smith has died while in LAPD custody after having attended a social justice protest. She was only 18 because of her good grades and her activism. And she was like very much into school and she was like a history buff and all this stuff, liked by a lot of people. She's seen as, quote, one of the good ones, end quote, which refers to basically the value we place on victims' lives. In this book in particular, it's referring to that phrase is referring to victims of police brutality who are often black 
But I think it also refers to something a lot of Black Americans have experienced, which I'll try to express concisely, as concisely as possible. But it's basically like, it's a very weird idea held by some non-Black people that if you, as a Black person, reject things that are coded as being inherently Black, then you're like one of the good ones to use the phrase, the title of the book, which implies like to be Black is inherently bad. So like in order to be seen as a worthwhile, like valuable, you know, contributor to society, you have to shed that part of you to be of value in society. And I've noticed that some Black people in trying to get that approval from white people, really, um, that they will try to prove that they're not Black type of thing. This probably, well, I'm guessing it also happens with other minority groups but just I'm privy to the Black experience, obviously, so I can speak on that more. So Kezi's sister, Happy, is definitely not one of those who would be viewed as a quote-unquote good one. She was skipping school at one point, I believe. She was partying, getting drunk, um, and stuff like that. And so people judged her as, you know, um, she's a little temperamental at times. So Kezi starts to take issue with how her sister is being kind of martyred by the media. And she starts to ask the question like, okay, my sister is being being portrayed as this perfect angel. And there's a subtext in how she's portrayed. Um, and again, that is just speaking to the title, one of the good ones. Kezi's sister happy is basically taking issue with the implications of like, Oh, this girl, Kezi, who died, she was one of the good ones. Therefore, we should, you know, honor her death and, you know, put her on a type of pedestal because it implies that if she were not that model citizen that someone else had determined to be a model citizen, like, you know, someone else determined the criteria for that. I mean, if she were not that, then her death would, you know, not be valued or seen as important. So Happy takes issue with that. Happy starts to explore her family history and this whole journey um, leads her to embarking on a road trip with her other sister, Jenny, and they both use the Negro Motorist Green Book as a guide and they uncover some very interesting things about their family and about Kezi. I don't think I mentioned this book when I was speaking to Kelly, but I did mention um, how I thought it would be cool to have like an upgraded Negro Motorist Green Book. That's just an aside. <laughs> I spoke to my friend about it. I feel like it'd be cool. Like, on, I don't know. I think that would be interesting. But yes. So it's just a very interesting book. It looks at the social justice movement type, of, you know, and the people that we, why do we uplift other people, some people versus others, I mean. So yes, definitely pick it up. Again, it is one of the good ones by Micah Mulit and Maritza Mulit. Oh, that sounds really good. And I love a good, like, family story road trip. Mm-hmm. So, ah, gonna, I, sometimes I have my Overdrive app open while you're talking. And I'm oh, just really? like, is that <laughs> That's, that's like, you're like, I don't know if you've seen the memes, like, you're like big brain. You know that <laughs> meme where it's like three people and it's like the side, it's like a brain and each one yeah. the brain's expanding. You're like the very last one where it's just like, ah, that's a good idea. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, so my third pick is She Drives Me Crazy by Kelly Quinlan. And this is just a really fun and feel-good lesbian romance for teens. Um, so Kelly Quinlan's Late to the Party was one of my favorite books of 2020. And, you know, she did it again with just another really great pick. So She Drives Me Crazy is the story of Scotty. She's this teenage basketball player, and she is the player at their small town high school. And they're like, they're they're not great. They're not like the worst, but they're not super fantastic. And at the beginning <laughs> of the book, that's just I funny. Mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's just that's honest. A, yeah, that's you don't real. have to be. You don't have to be perfect at yeah. high school sports to still have fun and enjoy yourself. That's um, true. That's true. <laughs> but what, at the beginning of the book, um, Scotty is really upset because her girlfriend Tally 
has decided that like she wants to go to a high school where the basketball team is better and they take basketball more seriously. And so she has transferred to the next town over, which is like slightly richer, slightly fat, flashier. And even though like this town is like literally 10 minutes away, Tally broke up with Scotty because she wanted a fresh start in a new high school, new basketball team. So like the Jeez. openings, I know it's so mean. I, That's I pretty would, rough. I also feel bad for Scotty. So the opening scene of this book is Scotty and Tally, their teams are facing off in a basketball game. And, like, Tally's team is just crushing Scotty's, and she's really upset about it, and she's, like, hurt over the breakup, and it just goes really poorly. So then after the game, Scotty gets into a fender bender with the school's, like, sort of, like, ice queen cheerleader stereotype, and her name is Irene. And they get into a fender bender. It's really awkward. Um, Scotty kind of has, like, this, this, like, sort of strained history with Irene. She's like half afraid of her, half like despises her. Um, But when their parents show up and they figure out like, okay, this was, you know, just an accident. They are like, well, you know, you two can carpool until the cars are fixed. And Scotty realizes that carpooling with Irene to school um, gets the rumor mill going and like Tally finds out and is like, oh, are you dating her? And Scotty's like, oh, oh, that makes you jealous, does it? Wouldn't and you so, like to know? <laughs> right? So Tally and Irene come to this agreement where they both have something that the other wants and they have this like fake dating agreement and they they also hate each other. So I mean, like, it ticks so many boxes for tropes because you've oh, that's a good one. lovers. You've got, yeah, yeah you've got fake dating. So they're in this, like, fake dating scheme in, like, one of the most hilarious and charming small town settings I've ever read where, like, they are, like, the Christmas capital of the South and their their town is, like, called Grandma Earl and their their mascot or like reindeer it's hilarious i love it so so much that's funny that's like perfect timing though that's a good little seasonal read it's like a good seasonal read that's like not like explicitly about christmas but it has a lot of christmas vibes in it as Mm -hmm. well so yeah and it takes place over the holidays it's a really great funny book and of course, as they're fake dating, they realize that they have real feelings for one another. But then Scotty also has to sort out like her feelings for Tally, um, whom she's trying to make jealous. And then like the fact that like maybe her relationship with Tally wasn't the most um, healthy relationship <gasps> on right. the planet. So I really enjoyed this book. I One thing I think that um, Kelly Quinlan does really well is just like, really good relationship dynamics and character dynamics between like siblings and friends and love interests. Like it's all just really excellent. So she drives me crazy by Kelly Quinlan. I loved it so much. And if you really liked this one, go read her other book late to the party. She also has a self-published book called her name in the wind, which I have not read yet, but now I have to go read because I loved her other two. This sounds like a really just like a fun like you said, like a fun like romp. It was. Yeah, and again, I do like a good seasonal. Like I'll say, <laughs> I'm a seasonal reader. Like for Halloween, obviously all the witchy things during October, and then like when it gets cold, I do like some little cozy, you know, wintry situations. Oh, this is perfect for that then. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> hilarious. It is. Well, my next book is considerably not. Doesn't have nearly as cheery a premise, <laughs> but it's called Iron. I mean, even in the title, it's called Iron Widow. It's by Sharon J. Zhao. So in Waxia, the patriarchy is raging, and boys look forward to pairing up with girls to provide the yin to their yang. In doing so, both will be able to pilot these giant war machines that they use to fight monsters. So the problem is. The girls usually end up dying from the mental strain. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Hmm. The world seems fine with this arrangement, though. Again, shocking. Um, That is until Zetian's sister is killed this way and she vows revenge. Same, sis. She volunteers herself to be what's called a concubine pilot and the boy she's paired with ends up dying instead of her. Because of this, she's labeled as an iron widow and is and is of course feared and reviled 
to tame her, basically. They pair her with Lee Shimin, who is considered to be one of the strongest pilots and, like, very formidable himself. So it's obviously, it's got a lot of, well, I would say with a lot of science fiction and fantasy, you know, there are a lot of analogies for current social ills and stuff like that. It's borrowing a lot from like a lot of, you know, Asian culture and history and mythology and stuff like that. It's actually been called Pacific Rim meets The Handmaid's Tale. It's polyamorous. Um, It's supposed to kind of be like a reimagining of China's only female emperor, which is interesting. It's queer. It's anti-patriarchy. Again, it has polyamory. I don't know what else you could want. (laughs) (laughs) It's fabulous. The author is also kind of fabulous themselves. I would suggest, I definitely recommend like following them. They like to dress up in like, they kind of do cosplay and stuff. (laughs) I don't know. They're kind of like fabulous. I'm into it. Their author photo is of them in a cow suit. So like, I feel like that's all I need to say. That's all you need to. (laughs) And I know there was a picture on Twitter because I think their pronouns are like they them preferred, but like they go, they're fine with like she, her as well. And uh, there's a picture of them just dressed in different outfits that like kind of cross, you know, the gender spectrum or whatever. And I don't know. I just like people dressing up in things and yeah, contacts and all that extra stuff. So they're extra in the ways that I like. And I think they definitely translate to this book in a very good way. So yeah, it gets real. It's very much like, I feel like there are going to be moments where you're like, you know how like you see something. I don't I don't watch the sports ball tears. I don't know if you do. Do you <laughs> no. watch the ath- the athletes, the athletics? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> so I know nothing of the sports. Um, but I feel like I've you know, when people are like watching sports and they're into it and they're like yelling at the screen and stuff, like when they score, like it's you know, it has moments like that when you're like, oh yes, you know, get them, whatever. So it's cathartic feminism. So again, that's Iron Widow by Sharon J. Zhao. Please pick it up. Uh, I have it on audio, so I'm going to have to, you know, cue it up sometime. I think I do, too. I have a lot yeah. of things like net galleys. I just, I need to get to <laughs> This is the danger yeah. of having, like, so many things on audio or so many yeah. things, like, as a digital arc because, like, you can't see it. So then, like, sometimes you forget about it. Yeah, and exactly. And then you're like, whoa, how do I have 60 books that I have? How? <laughs> how? Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> All right. My final pick is the most WTF book I've read this year. It is The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. And, like, if you have not read Mindy McGinnis, most of her books are pretty WTF. Like, they're really hard-hitting. They... I don't want to say this because sometimes I feel like people use it as an insult, but like they kind of go for the shock value, but like not in like a sort of shallow way. Like they do shock and then they also have like good substance to them as well. So the initial insult came out earlier this year. It is a loose retelling of the cask of Amontillado. There is a ton of Edgar Allan Poe, like Easter eggs hidden throughout this book. It is the story of Tress Montour, who used to be best friends with Felicity Turbinato. When they were kids, Felicity was sleeping over at Tress's house. Felicity had like, you know, an an experience where she had to go home in the middle of the night and she demanded that she go home in the middle of the night. So Tress's parents were like, okay, fine. So they, they left Tress home alone and they put Felicity in the car to take her home to her parents' In the middle of the night, they're like eight years old, and there was some kind of accident. And basically, Felicity was found the next morning on the riverbank and no sign of Tress's parents. Like, people just don't know what happened to them. And so since then, Tress has been living with her grandfather, who is like low-key abusive, but very neglectful. Uh And she's not in a very good position and she's just like consumed by like what happened to her parents and she and Felicity are no longer friends. Felicity has done everything she can to forget about that night. And the official story is always that like, she doesn't remember what happened. Like she was in the car one moment and then she was like found the next and she doesn't know what happened between that point. 
And Tress is like, that's BS. She has always been convinced that Felicity holds the secrets to her parents' disappearance. And she is pushed one time too many and decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. She's going to make Felicity tell her what happened to her parents. And if Felicity doesn't do it, then she'll get her revenge. And she figures either way, the score will be evened. So she decides to lure Felicity to a party that the entire town is having in the midst of a horrible flu epidemic, which too real. Oh my god! And too soon. They're in. They're yeah. They're partying in this house that's abandoned in the woods, and she lures Felicity into the basement, and she's bricking her up behind the coal chute. Oh my and basically, god! Basically, every time Felicity doesn't tell Tress what she wants to hear, she adds another layer, and like this house is scheduled to be demolished very soon. <gasps> so yeah, it's like really intense, and so the whole book is like the party and what's going on but then it was also flashbacks from both Tress and Felicity's point of view to the previous years of like how their friendship fell apart and like working up to like what really happened I will say that this book for people who don't like this it has a very obvious cliffhanger ending and I don't mean like an open ending like no this is a legit cliffhanger ending um the second book comes out in a couple of months it's called The Last Laugh it's a a duology so by the time you're listening to this you can probably pick up this book and know that the second book is coming really soon I have been dying since February (laughs) because I read that book and I was like wait what happens next um so it's so good it's so good I have a lot of theories so good I have a lot of theories about what actually is going to happen, but I won't say anything because I just feel like people need to go out and read this book for themselves. Um, And also the Edgar Allan Poe connections are really kind of fun, especially if you've read any Poe. But even if you haven't read Poe, you don't have to know his work to still really enjoy this book. But it is intense. And I just do want to give a warning for, you know, neglect, abuse, there's animal death and animal cruelty in here. Um, It's not like super explicit, but it happens. And yeah, it's an intense book, but I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait for the second book. That is The Initial Insult by Mindy McInnes. That is very, um, yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. <sighs> but, um, ooh, well, that these books all sound amazing. The ones that you mentioned, they're all, they've all been added to my TBR. That's already exploding. Same. If they weren't already there, some of them are already there. I feel like we did a good job of like picking books that each other hadn't read. So we have like a really wide variety. Yeah. This time around. For sure. Um, next, our first episode for the new year will be our most anticipated 2022 releases. So that's something to look forward to. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Please leave feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts to let us know how we're doing and help others find us. Email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping making this show possible. And thanks to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow me at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore Erica spelled with a C, E-R-I-C-A. And Tirza, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at at Tirza Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. Nice, nice. All right. So we'll talk to you again next year. Woo! <laughs> Have a happy, happy new year and happy reading. <laughs> happy new year, yes. It feels so weird. It doesn't feel like it's a new year, but yes. Happy new year, everyone. <laughs> happy reading. <laughs> See you in two weeks. Bye.